Africa rise and shine Africa zoza Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Amanda Machaka, and Figile Nwati. In our top stories in Africa, Rise and Shine at Basawa, Lesotho's Congress for Democracy Secretary General resigns. The whereabouts of two South Sudan activists remain unknown and Pastor Mawariwe arrested on return to Zimbabwe from the U.S. In economics news, Ivory Coast unrest makes cocoa grinders rethink investment. And in sports news, World Anti-Doping Agency happy with Kenyan progress. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The Democratic Republic of Congo's veteran opposition leader, Etienne Tshisekedi, has died in Brussels, age 84. Tshisekedi was a pivotal figure in Congo whose history has been marked by foreign intervention, civil war, coups and authoritarian rule. He stood up to Mobutu Sese Seko, who ruled the country then known as Zahir for more than three decades, before Mobutu was overthrown by Rwanda, Uganda and other forces. Tshisekedi was also the main civilian opponent of Laurent Gabila, who took power in 1997, and his son, the current president, Joseph Kabila, who has been in power since 2001. Ten of the new Gambian government's 18 ministers have been sworn in less than a week after freshly elected president Adama Baro arrived in the country following a major political crisis. In a vote in December, Barrow defeated longtime leader Yaya Jume, who during several weeks refused to step down. Barrow last week chose a former minister of Jume's government as vice president, Futumata Tambajang. She has been described as the woman who persuaded the Gambia's divided opposition parties to club together and field a single candidate in the election, which Barrow eventually won. Minister in the South African President Sijif Khadebe says Cabinet will study the report into the deaths of 94 psychiatric patients before taking action. Health Ombudsman Malikapuru Mahobo's report reveals the patients died between March and December last year due to the Gauteng Health Department officials' negligence and flouting of departmental procedures. Speaking briefly to reporters on the sidelines of a Cabinet summit, Khadebe said commenting on the issue now would be premature. Meanwhile, the bereaved families say legal recourse is the only acceptable redress for their loss. Christina Ngumalo's sister, Virginia Machapela, is one of the victims. Look, personally, I am, and I'm not going to change, especially now that she's resigned. Had she come here and at least showed her face to say that what she stood by, what she did, she believed. If you're going to take actions, at least have the guts to stand by what you, what you decide to do, especially if you're going to be arrogant like that. But more so now that she actually resigned the day before, in the dark and like last minute pending in her resignation. That's coward. That's actually quite disgusting, actually. So, yeah, no, I am taking action. I definitely am. 
The United Nations Secretary-General believes the temporary ban on refugees and citizens from certain Middle Eastern and African countries to the United States violates the basic principles of the global body. Speaking in New York after his visit to the African Union summit where the U.S. ban was raised, Antonio Guterres warned that the measures put in place by an executive order of President Donald Trump was not the best way to protect the U.S. from possible terrorist infiltration and could trigger further recruitment for terror organizations of people already within its borders. It is obvious that, uh, in my opinion, this is not the way, and it was very clear in the statement, this is not the way to best protect uh, the U.S. or any other country uh, in relation to the uh, serious concerns that exist about possibilities of terrorist infiltration, but I don't think this is the effective way to do so, and uh, I think that uh, these measures should be uh, removed sooner rather than later. That was the appeal I made. And finally, hundreds of foreign-backed militants have handed over their weapons to Syrian government forces in a strategic area northwest of Damascus. On the 29th of January, Syrian troops established full control over the strategic valley and agreed to the evacuations of hundreds of militants from the area as part of a reconciliation agreement between armed opposition groups and the government. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Ensuring that displaced people in Wau, South Sudan, can return to their homes is a shared goal of both the government and the United Nations, the head of the UN mission in the country, UNMIS, said on Wednesday. David Shreer was speaking following his first visit to the northwestern town where nearly 30,000 people are sheltering in a UN protection site following fighting last year between the army and youth associated with the opposition. While in Wau, Shera met with the state governor and the top army commander there in addition to speaking to civilians. What strikes me is that um, both the UN and the government have a shared interest in people who are currently, there's more than 40,000 people in uh, various camps around Wau, uh, moving back to their villages and their homes. That's what we would all want. The problem is security and safety, and so when I spoke to people in the camps today, many of the people said to me that they, some don't feel safe about going home, They certainly don't feel safe about going home at night. Some of them are coming back to their homes during the daytime, but they stay in the camps at night. So I spoke with the governor and the general in charge of this area and said to them that we need stability, we need security, and we need, most of all, peace. And UNMIS can try and do some of that work, but ultimately it's the job of the South Sudanese government forces. And the critical problem the people in the armies are facing the access to some areas outside the main cities. Is there any progress that you had during your discussion with the governor and the SPLA Division 5 general here? Well that was the second issue that we talked about after the protection of civilians issue. Both the governor and the general said to me quite clearly that these people outside of well, even if they're in the rebel areas as they called it 
they are South Sudanese and they deserve to get the same sort of support as everybody else, so in form of food, medical supplies, etc. So they said that they would work with us and to facilitate getting those supplies to those people. And for us it's very important because those people are without anything at the moment, they're cut off. But the other thing is, is if, if we don't do that, there's a very good chance they may come into WOW and start yet another site and uh, we don't want that and neither does the government so I think we found some common ground to work on. The issue now for us is if it can be implemented because we can have these discussions but important thing is what happens on the ground so I was pleased with the cooperation they showed the welcome that they gave me I was very happy with that and looking forward to coming back and just seeing how much progress we can have made and the most frequently asked question by South Sudanese here is about the, the exact date of the deployment of the Regional Protection Force. Is there any update from the UN side here? Well, it's on schedule as far as I know. I know there were some people who were due to come in a few days ago and have a few to make a first reconnaissance of the area. People from Rwanda, we had a bit of trouble with their visas. We're also still in discussions with the government just to get confirmation on a second piece of land that we need to have. We can't just come in as an outside force and just take up residence anywhere. We've got to have that land secured. So there's a few technical issues, but every conversation I've had with senior people within the South Sudanese government, and I've met twice now with President Salvaquir, both times he has said, uh, yes, we're ready. So... Uh, which is the matter of getting these technical issues cleared up and we, we should be okay. And lastly, if you have any message for the people of Sudan? When I move around, I realise that this is a very new country. It's only a little over five years old. All new countries, when they're starting, have problems. For us, the UN, we are here to support and help the people of South Sudan to bring peace, to work with the transitional government of national unity, and I would like to think that sometime in the not-too-distant future, South Sudan will be at a stage, or Unmus will think, we're not necessary anymore. This government is growing and surging ahead and there's no role for us anymore. That will be a happy day for me. That was David Shera, United Nations Mission in San Sudan, speaking to UN Radio's Stan Lin, Gabriel San Lassi. It's 8.10 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. A special report is expected to be presented to a Nairobi High Court on Friday on the whereabouts of two prominent South Sudan activists that are wanted by the Juba government to face unspecified criminal charges. The activists have been missing for nearly two weeks. Already, the Nairobi High Court has officially stopped their deportation to Juba. James Shimangula has more. The two prominent South Sudan activists that have been missing in Nairobi are Dong Samuel Luak and Agre Idri. The activists have been strong critics of President Salva Kiir's government in Juba. Before they went missing, intelligence reports indicated that the Juba government had sent a secret military agent to Nairobi to look for the activists and asked the Kenyan government to deport them the way they did in December last year 
When they deported James Gadet Duck, spokesman for South Sudan rebel leader Riek Machar. The presentation of the special report to the Nairobi High Court on Friday comes shortly after Judge Luka Kimaru gave two days to a lawyer representing the Kenyan government and the lawyers appearing for the missing activists to provide a report containing concrete information on the whereabouts of the critics of the Juba government. Harun Indubi is one of the Kenyan lawyers representing families of the two missing critics of the Juba government. Ndubi asserts that the Juba government's push for the two activists to be deported from Kenya is a clear violation of universal law that protects refugees. It is definitely a very, very clear violation of uh, international refugee law, uh, human rights. There is uh, an international refugee provision of law that you cannot return a person to a country where he is afraid of, where he is running away from. Secondly, our own law prohibits detention of persons beyond 24 hours without bringing them to court. And uh, there is experience that the government of Kenya has deported one of uh, Rick Machar's spokespersons secretly, James Gadiat, who is currently in custody without trial in Juba and we think that there is probably a planned purge against persons who might be supporting Riek Machar from Kenya and getting them back to southern Sudan. Elizabeth Deng, Amnesty International researcher for South Sudan, expresses distress that has gripped human rights defenders and relatives of the two missing South Sudan activists, Dong Samuel Luwak and Agre Idri. It's extremely distressing now that one week after they disappeared, um, there's still really no concrete information about where exactly they could be. Uh, we were you know, concerned that they would be deported to South Sudan based on what happened with James Gadet. Um, we know Gadet, since his arrival in Juba, has been held in arbitrary detention without charge in solitary confinement in conditions that amount to ill-treatment and likely torture. So that is not a fate that we wanted repeated for Dong Samuel and Agre Idri. That was Elizabeth Deng, Amnesty International Researcher for South Sudan. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. And I am Diana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
It's 8.15 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The African Union has held a solidarity conference for the Central African Republic. The event attended by representatives of African countries and members from the international community is aimed at mobilizing support from within Africa to support the post-conflict reconstruction of the country. Coletta Wanjohi reports. The Central African Republic experienced more than a decade of recurrent crises that have severely altered the socio-economic, institutional and security foundations of the country. The African Union has held a pledging conference for the Central African Republic. The African Union Commissioner for Peace and Security, Ismail Sergui, says the conference held at the AU Commission in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, intends to complement the financial commitments made at the International Donor Conference held on November 17, 2016, in Brussels. This is uh, the Africa uh, Solidarity Initiative, which means Africans supporting Africans. And this is a very important as we are looking to implement uh, African solutions to African problems. So uh, the, the idea was uh, really to support the program of the government that was highlighted here with three windows. That's peace and security and uh, stabilization, which includes security sector reform, DDR, uh, justice, the second, uh, the second window was about rehabilitating all the institutions, uh, health, schools, roads, and the third one was about development. Commissioner Shergui says in the course of 2017, there will be more programs and events further targeted at mobilizing support across the continent from key stakeholder groups such as the private sector and the African philanthropist foundations. We want really to create the process. Maybe this conference is just a starting process to, uh, to have this uh, uh, support of Africans to their uh, sisters and brothers in, uh, in Qatar. The, uh, the other uh, bold uh, initiative that we are taking in a few days, that is uh, to, uh, to promote uh, an initiative taken by Africa Union, uh, the uh, CRC uh, grouping, and ICRGL, with the support of Angola, Congo, and the Chad, in order to uh, to support the elected, democratically elected president and his government, to stabilize the country in bringing all the armed groups that are still acting in the, gov- in, in the country to sign a peace agreement with the government. The African Union Commission, in collaboration with the government of the Central African Republic, will establish an in-house mechanism to follow up on the pledges and commitments and report on achievements and challenges of the effort. Coletta Njoye for Channel Africa Radio, in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. UN chief says he his recent visit to the African Union Heads of State Summit in Ethiopia allowed stakeholders to establish a higher platform of cooperation between the two organizations, both regarding sustainable development and peace and security. Antonio Guterres made the remarks to the press on his return to New York, where he said agreements had been reached for, to fully align the AU's Agenda 63 with the 
UN 2030 agenda. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Guterres says discussions range from the implementation of the peace deal in South Sudan to the situations in the DRC, Burundi and Mali and pointed to recent examples as demonstrating what was possible in Africa. What the Gambia episode has demonstrated is that when the neighbours of a country are together, when the sub-regional African organisation is united and the African Union is united, then it is possible for the Security Council to decide, it is possible for action to be taken, and it is possible for democracy, human rights, and the, uh, the freedom of peoples uh, to be defended. When there is division in the region, it is much more difficult for the UN to be able to act accordingly. On South Sudan, he said President Salva Kiir had agreed to allow the UN mission greater freedom of movement in the country and for a regional protection force to be put in place, one that notably now will include Kenyan troops after recent tensions with the UN escalated last year when one of its commanders in South Sudan was fired for failing to respond to an attack on a Juba hotel. Our narrative about Africa must not be based on the crises that exist in Africa. There are crises everywhere. We have crises in Europe, crises in the Middle East, crises in, 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 in Asia. There are crises everywhere. What is important is also to understand the enormous potential that Africa represents, that Africa is the continent that has grown more economically in the last decade, that has remarkable success stories, and that we need to also take profit of the momentum created by these facts in order to make sure that Africa is able to win the battle for sustainable and inclusive development in the next few years, knowing that that is also the best way to prevent the conflicts that unfortunately have created so much suffering in the continent. This was Guterres' first visit to the African Union summit since becoming UN chief. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York. The Secretary-General of Lesotho, Deputy Prime Minister Mutetra Medzing's party, Lesotho Congress for Democracy, LCD, has resigned and formed a new party, the Movement for Economic Change. Sidibe Muchuburane says he will not resign as Minister of Small Business, but if he is fired, he will move to the crossbenches in Parliament. This move means the coalition government has lost at least one more seat in Parliament. After months of speculation that Sidibe Muchoborwane is leaving LCD, it has finally happened. He says LCD elders tried in vain to mediate, but now he has formed a new party, Movement for Economic Change. Sidibe Muchoborwane. I've left the LCD because there was a perception or the understanding that as an individual, I was accused that I'm growing faster than the the way the party is growing. Besides that, there were people who were uncomfortable with the reception that I received from the the, the masses. In a space of a month, three new political parties have broken away from three major parties, the conundrum in this one, however, is that Muchoborwane is still a cabinet minister. So if he resigns from a party that is part of the coalition, does he stay in that coalition or does he leave? The coalition agreement sets out a ratio of cabinet posts based on the number of seats each party has in parliament. The next few days will determine whether LCD wants Muchoborwane in 
or out of that coalition. I'm still the minister and I'm still willing to serve His Majesty's government. It's just that I've separated with LCD and I've formed the new party that I'm leading. But if the Prime Minister and his deputy so wish that I quit this position that I'm holding now, then I will move. In Parliament, I will have to write to the Speaker of the National Assembly and then indicate that I need to sit on the gross bench. If they rob me in, I will not have a problem. But if he stays on as minister, it means the coalition government will now have eight parties and the agreement may have to be redrawn. If he goes, it means the coalition government has at least one seat less in the National Assembly after the prime minister's party also split. But he maintains he has four other proportional representation MPs on his side. Proportional representation seats can't cross the floor, but in a secret ballot, they can vote any way they want. Top among those votes is a looming motion of no confidence in the Prime Minister. Should the motion of the vote of no confidence against the Prime Minister emerge in Parliament, that I have been, I have been, I've been clear for quite a long that I will not vote against the prime minister but he says he may withhold his vote for the budget which if the opposition gets its way may technically collapse the government if it is not passed i'm takwanangatani in maseru lesotho South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has described relations between South Africa and Cuba as solidarity in practice. He was speaking after meeting his Cuban counterpart Salvador Valdez Mesa in Pretoria last night. The two leaders discussed ways of strengthening political, economic and trade relations between the two countries. Vice President Valdez Mesa also paid a courtesy call on President Jacob Zuma. Political correspondent in Debomogobo has more. The Cuban health care is widely respected and is seen as a model for developing countries. One of the main drawcards of Cuba's approach is its achievements in primary health care and proactive disease prevention in a country with a large rural population. Currently, the Cuban government has 400 doctors working in South Africa and is giving medical training to at least 3,000 South African students. Again, Cuban engineers are working in South Africa under the auspices of the South Africa-Cuba Agreement on Cooperation in the Fields of Water Resource Management and Water Supply. And Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says this is a testimony that relations between the two nations are truly genuine. The support that we continue to get from the government of Cuba and the people of Cuba just continues to strengthen the relationship between South Africa and Cuba. We get support from Cuba at the health level. We've got a lot of Cuban doctors here. We've also got South African students who are studying in Cuba. And for this, Your Excellency, we thank you. This is solidarity in practice. He says both countries have now moved their relations beyond healthcare services, insisting that they are also exploring trade and investment. We also want to deepen and broaden our relationship between the two countries at a commercial and economic level, and we're beginning to see signs of that, that we 
through this relationship are able to expose South African companies to Cuba so that they can see the opportunities that are there between the two countries. So your coming here for us is very, very important indeed, and we welcome you. And speaking through an interpreter, Cuban Vice President Salvador Valdez Mesa says his government stands to benefit from South Africa's sound and reputable financial system. The relations of cooperation between South Africa and Cuba are an example of how South-South cooperation should be. And we have come also to explore uh, new areas of possible cooperation, mainly in the trading and economic activities. We are involved in the updating of our economic model. There is no doubt that there are experiences that we can learn from South Africa, such as the company's law, financial intelligence, and there could be some other fields such as renewables. Vice President Mesa's visit remains historically and politically significant as Cuba is synonymous with the liberation of South African people. Last year, the country sent a high-power delegation led by President Jacob Zuma to the funeral of the Cuban leader Fidel Castro, and now Cuba has become an established strategic partner for South Africa in the Latin American region and in the multilateral fora. I am Tebu Mokobe in Pretoria. It's 8.29 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. In the headlines, the Democratic Republic of Congo's veteran opposition leader Etienne Shikede has died in Brussels at the age of 84. Hundreds of foreign-backed militants have surrendered at surrender have surrendered their weapons to Syrian government forces in a strategic area northwest of Damascus. And the South African Medical Association wants the former Gauteng Health MEC Kreda Nimatlangu and senior health officials to be held criminally liable for the deaths of 94 mental health patients. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you. And defending jobs and creating new ones are to be a key focus of the South African cabinet, Lechotla, currently underway in Pretoria. The four-day meeting is co-chaired by President Jacob Zuma and his deputy Cyril Ramaphosa and is attended by ministers and their deputies, directors-general, 
as well as representatives of the South African Local Government Association, Salga. Ndebo Mogobo is there and filed this report. Minister in the Presidency, Jeff Harebe, says all efforts to save existing jobs and creating new ones, especially in the poultry industry, will find resonance in the discussions of the Cabinet Lekotla. It might arise as part of the nine-point plan, uh, plan in order to reignite our economy. So those issues are very much part of the life and blood of what the Department of Agriculture is doing. So in this report, it might arise. At the end of its Lekotla last week, the ANC urged government to bail out poultry industry in a bid to save jobs and increase food security and production. South African chicken producers, including Rainbow Chicken, are set to retrench over 3,500 workers as they struggle under heavy competition from cheap imported chickens from the European Union countries. ANC Secretary General Gwedeman Tashi said government should be protecting and incentivizing domestic industries. We've been reading about many of the poultry farms being closed because of the heavy imports and dumping of a poultry in our economy. We say the state must actually buy those poultry farms that are being, that are being sold and closed down and continue producing. That will not only require the state to buy, it will also mean the state will have to find new markets for the poultry that is produced in those farms. The state of the economy Ensuring inclusive growth and fast-tracking the land redistribution are other issues that will feature high on the agenda. The cabinet Lekotla comes at a time when the country is witnessing slow growth, and Minister in the Presidency Jeff Harebe says the four-day meeting will reflect strongly on achieving radical socio-economic transformation as resolved at the ANC's national conference in 2012. Amongst the issues that are going to be discussed as well is the labor-intensive programs of government as well as uh, the issues around the priorities uh, of investment. As you know, that the president convened what we call the Invest South Africa with about 40 priority projects. So this is what is going to be happening in the next few days. The meeting comes hot on the heels of the ANC NEC Lekotla, and Minister Khadebe says the outcomes of that meeting will fit into their deliberations over the next few days. Government is not just a, a generic government, it's an ANC government. So the deliberations and the conclusions of the NEC Lekotla last week will play a very critical role in the decisions of this. So that is why uh, uh, all the information that uh, came from the NEC Lekotla is part of the agenda today. The outcomes of this cabinet Lekotla will be reflected in President Jacob Zuma's State of the Nation address scheduled for next Thursday. I am Tebu Mokobo in Pretoria. South African political parties and other stakeholders are calling for Gauteng Province Premier David Makura and his cabinet to resign following a damning report about circumstances surrounding deaths of mentally ill patients. 94 psychiatric patients died and the number may increase, according to Health Ombudsman Professor Malikaburu Mahoba. Mahoba released a report in Pretoria yesterday where negligence, flouting of procedure, maladministration and possible criminal acts were committed. Maluti Obuseng reports. Former MEC and member of the provincial executive Kredani Masangu tendered in her resignation yesterday, a day before the report could be made public. However, this is not enough for opposition parties in the province. Democratic Alliance has called on senior government officials, including Premier David Makura, to take collective responsibility of the findings and recommendations of the Health Ombudsman report. DA Shadow Health MEC in Gauteng, Jack Bloom. 
Well, the DA is, uh, has asked questions about this from the very start, and I think there is uh, collective accountability as well because uh, Premier Dave Mercura has defended uh, the, her, his health MEC. And look, this, uh, this was a cost-cutting model, which in fact the health ombudsman said uh, has failed to cost, cut costs and in fact has increased costs. I think the issue here is decency of care. I think that, frankly, the ANC in this province has not shown that they do care. They failed very severely here. Economic freedom fighters have called Gauteng Premier David Makura to resign. EFF National Spokesperson Mbuisen Ndlozi says Makura failed in his duties, therefore he too must resign. As the EFF, we believe that this is a massacre that must be put directly at the feet and the hands of the ANC government. Not only must Kretani, the NEC of Health, resign, she must face criminal charges, but also David Makura as the premier must ask himself a simple question. How can so illegal an affair happen right under his nose and he continues to think he can preside over the government of Houthi? One victim of the recommendations of the report has already bitten the dust. Former MEC Kerani Matlangu tendered her resignation yesterday, a day before the release of the report. Gauteng Premier David Makura says Matlangu's resignation has been accepted. I have accepted her resignation and I would have taken action because in any case this is a very serious matter. Like all members of the Gauteng Provincial Executive Council or Provincial Cabinet, she fully understood that if something goes profoundly wrong in your area of responsibility and under the area where you have executive authority, you have to take direct accountability. Meanwhile, Section 27, an NGO providing legal assistance to bereaved families as well as mental illness patients who are still in the department's care, says it will institute legal action for recourse against Houghton Provincial Government. Section 27's Sasha Stevens says the organization will ensure that the provincial government compensate bereaved families and to take necessary procedures regarding patients still in these establishments. We're going to have to read the report and, and absorb it all. Um, I think there's there's the potential for, for further action. What, what really our, our clients want is justice for their family members, either who have died uh, in the, these NGOs or who are surviving in these NGOs despite the conditions. And they need accountability for that. And they also need a plan for where the survivors are going to go from here. So this certainly doesn't end the tragedy of life as a many, but impo- hopefully it's an important step towards resolving the problem. ANC in Gauteng could not be reached for comment. However, media reports have quoted them as having expressed their sympathy to the bereaved families. I'm Maluti Ubuseng in Pretoria. It's 8.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. A Zimbabwean pastor who led protests last year against President Robert Mugabe's government was arrested at Harare International Airport on Wednesday as he returned to the country after several months abroad. Last year, Mawariwe emerged as leader of the This Flag protest movement that quickly grew into the largest demonstration against Mugabe in several years. 
The pastor fled to South Africa in July and then to the U.S. in fear for his life after being publicly denounced by Mugabe, whose ruthless security forces crushed the protest movement. To find out more on this, Pumelele Zondi spoke to our Harare correspondent, Simon Muchema. It's now confirmed uh, Pastor Ivan Mawalire has been detained at the Harare International Airport a few hours ago upon his arrival from the United States. Um, we hear that uh, he was um, he just disembarked uh, South African Airways coming from South Africa uh, on his way from the United States. Upon his arrival in Harare, he was detained. Uh, he's a popular person. He is known, and most of the times when he's traveling and even when he's moving around town, uh, wherever he is, he travels um, clad in the flag, uh, the Zimbabwean flag. And that is a sy- symbolic way of um, a protest against Robert Mugabe's overstay in power. Now we're talking of 37 years. So we are not really sure of the names of the people who have arrested Ivan Mawarire, but it's confirmed that the security uh, authorities in Zimbabwe, the ones who are based at the Arari International Airport, arrested Mawarire. So do we know what charges, um, if any charges, have been laid against him, Simon? Uh, we are yet to know what charges uh, Ivan Mawarire is likely going to, uh, what charges are likely going to be preferred against Ivan Mawarire, but there are people who are human rights activists who are suggesting that uh, the Zimbabwean government has indicated that they want to charge him for subverting a constitutional government. That is, uh, it, 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 it's an offense. That is, that is slightly, slightly below uh, the, 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 the harshest uh, offense, which is treason. He has been charged with um, subverting constitutional governance in the past, hasn't he? He was charged um, with, with a similar offense. And the court uh, dismissed that offense on a technicality, saying that uh, Mawahire had not uh, been properly charged and that he had been delayed to come to court. By the time they took him into the dock and they uh, leveled these charges against him, the 48-hour period had already expired. So it was a technicality that was there legally under the new constitution that was ushered in in 2018. But now they might have resuscitated the same offense. I'm not so sure uh, what evidence they are basing the arrest today, but if it is the evidence uh, of those cases that were thrown away by the court long back, then legally that's unlawful because according to the Zimbabwean law, you cannot arrest someone over a charge that was already thrown out by the court. So we are not really sure what other evidence which is new that could have actually triggered the arrest today. And you did say that his lawyer has intervened. Can you just tell us about that? What, what type of intervention happened? What's going to happen now? It appears as if uh, Ivan Mawarire was communicating with some human rights activists, human rights lawyers, while he was in South Africa uh, en route to Zimbabwe. So when he arrived at the Arara International Airport, a number of people knew that uh, Ivan Mawarire was coming and they were waiting for him there actually to see what was likely going to happen. So uh, when they realized that Ivan Moarire was being handled, taken away, handcuffed, and uh, put, put away in the cells, that's when his lawyer, Arison Nkomo, intervened. And Arison Nkomo confirmed on Twitter, he also confirmed on the telephone that, uh, yes, Ivan Moarire had been arrested. Uh, we heard from another lawyer who worked with the Zimbabwe Lawyers for Human Rights 
indicating that Ivan Mawalide is likely going to be charged for subverting a constitutional government. We don't really know what the government says or means by its subversion of the constitutional government because Mawalide has not been in the country and for quite some time now he has not even been using the social media in protest against Robert Mugabe. So we are yet to know whether he's been taken old offense or a new offense. But on a technicality, I don't think what is happening now is legal and uh, Robert Mugabe maybe should explain exactly what is taking place in Vanuari. That was our correspondent in Zimbabwe, Simon Muchema, on the line from the capital, Harare, speaking to Spumelele Zondi. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Tourism has proven itself as one of the best green sectors supporting Ethiopia in its initiative to tackle poverty, unemployment and development setbacks. For Ethiopia, the development of hotels remain to be the key driving force for the development of the travel and tourism sector's mission to collect $6 billion U.S. billion annually, targeting over 2 million foreign and 15 million domestic tourists in the coming four years. Globally, the lucrative industry generates over $3 billion daily. Although travel warnings brought setback for the growing tourism industry in the country, the sector is picking itself from where it falls following travel warning lift from developed countries working on to keep its 10% annual sector growth. Cocoa grinders in Cote d'Ivoire are holding off on new investments after military and social unrest this month, potentially denting government plans to boost processing of the commodity in the world's top grower. The country emerged from a 2002 to 2011 political crisis as one of the world's fastest growing economies, attracting foreign investment into everything from the cocoa industry to breweries and shopping malls. The Ivorian government aims to process half of Cote d'Ivoire's output by 2020 and is planning to offer tax breaks and fiscal advantages to companies that help it achieve its goal. 
British MPs have approved the first stage of a bill empowering Prime Minister Theresa May to start pulling Britain out of the European Union. The bill will allow the government to trigger Article 50 of the EU's Lisbon Treaty and formally begin two years of exit negotiations by a margin of 498 to 114. It's the first Brexit-related vote in the House of Commons, coming after more than 17 hours of debate, with a second and final vote in the lower house set for next week. The opposition Labour Party has ordered MPs not to block the bill. South Africa's Parliament Standing Committee on Finance will not work on any other provisions on the Financial Centre Intelligence Amendment Bill except those that President Jacob Zuma has identified as being problematic. Zuma referred the bill back to Parliament last year, citing reservations on the constitutionality of searches without a warrant. The legal opinion that Parliament received on the matter advised that the circumstances under which searches would be conducted without a warrant are constitutional under the bill. Director of the Banking Association of South Africa, Cass Kuvedia, has appealed to the committee to deal with the bill speedily. Right, but the one caveat we would put to you, Chair, is that the urgency to sign this bill is still there. I think it is necessary for us to sign this bill and to do it expeditiously, and we would urge that the committee resolve these amendments, which are essentially amendments of clarity and tightening up, and doesn't go to the substance of the issue that the president raised, because that, according to legal opinion, is not valid, and to refer the bill back expeditiously. The newly released figures show that South Africa's new vehicle sales rose 3.7% year-on-year to 50,333 units in January. The Trade and Industry Department, however, says its figures show that exports were down 10.3% to 11,659 units. It says this is compared with the same month a year earlier. In your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.45 South African rent, 10.38 Botswana Pula, and 9.85 Zambian Kwacha. It says 0.79 to the British pound and at 0.93 to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,214 and platinum at $999 an ounce. And the price of print crude oil is at $56.58 a barrel. That's how it's looking at this hour. Thank you, Amanda. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. Now, sports update this hour. We begin with Netball News. Netball South Africa Chief Executive Officer Blanche de la Guerre is impressed with the improvement made by the national team at the current third league of the Quad Series in Durban. The semi professional proteas showed tremendous progress when they drew with England 48 all in regulation time on Saturday, only to lose 60 55 in overtime. And the director of World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, Rodney Swigelar, says Kenya is making progress in its efforts towards tackling doping by its athletes. Swigelar says Kenya has done commendably well in the fight against doping and putting structures to help in this fight. 
who says they're happy with the legislative and legal steps put in place to tackle doping. Swigelar is in Kenya with a delegation from WADA and the Norwegian and South African anti-doping agencies to monitor the progress made so far and sign agreements with the anti-doping agency of Kenya, ADAC. The agreement will ensure it gets technical assistance from the Norwegian and South African bodies. Kenya's middle and long distance excellence has been marred by doping cases involving its elite athletes. Officials estimate the number of positive dope cases at between 49 and 52 in the four years alone. And Jamaican sprinter star Usain Bolt has moved on quickly from the loss of a gold medal from his Olympic trove, preferring to focus on future success. Touching down in Australia on Wednesday before an international athletics meet, Bolt remained philosophical about surrendering one of his nine gold medals. Last week, Bolt handed back a gold medal he won in the 4x100-meter relay at the 2008 Beijing Games after his relay teammate Nesta Carter tested positive for a banned substance. Initially uh, disappointed, of course, but uh, in life, uh, things happen. Uh, I'm not sad. I'm waiting to see what Nestor is going to do, if he's going to appeal. Something that I've been looking forward to. I've been training. I've been getting ready. So I'm excited to go something different. In cricket news, Fav Duplessis and David Miller scored centuries a piece to set the Standard Bank protest up for a 121-run victory over Sri Lanka in the second Momentum ODI at Sahara Stadium Kings Mid on Wednesday. This gives the Proteas a turning lead in the series, leading into the third match at Bidvers Wanderers Stadium on Saturday. The pair came together after the Proteas, having been sent into bed, were reduced to 108 for four in the 20th over. They quickly adapted to the pace of the wicket and excelled with the placement of the ball and the running between the wickets. Duplessis made his seventh ODI century, 105 off 120 balls, seven fours and a six, and Miller his fourth, 117 not out of 98 balls, 3 fours and 6 sixes, as they shared a record fifth wicket partnership against Sri Lanka of 117, beating the previous best of 100 between Neil McKenzie and Mark Bowsham. And elsewhere, Indian captain Virat Kohli is left delighted after Yusvendra Shahal inspired his side to a series clinching 75-run victory over England to clinch the third and final 2020 international. Winning all three of them feels really, really good right now because we are up against a top-quality side. We understand that, and to come on top, um, you know, after the end of all three series, um, it's a great feeling altogether. England skipper Ion McGuinn was left disappointed with the devastating England collapse. It was very disappointing. We weren't, you know, for maybe 60% of the game, we were competitive and right in amongst it, but fell away terribly towards the end. Uh, committed a cardinal sin of losing two in players in one over, and that allowed India to build a little bit of pressure. And That's just what news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. 
Recapping our top stories on African rise in China, the Sawa, Lesotho's Congress for Democracy Secretary-General resigns. The whereabouts of two South Sudan activists remain unknown and Pastor Mawariwe arrested on return to Zimbabwe from the U.S. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagadze and Tutungubeni, technical producer Sile Ndovu and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa is Seatless Choice.